All right, good morning, CFC. Good morning. Good morning to those of you online. Good morning to those over in North. Uh, We're so glad to be here today. I hope you guys are. You guys awake yet? It's kind of a calm morning, but I'm going to give you a heads up. This is going to be a deep one, okay? So uh, hopefully we can get going here. But um, hey, we're going to take a break from uh, the, the book of Genesis actually today. And uh, instead, I do want to remind you, though, of the live Q&A that does happen between the two services here. So right after this service, we have that live Q&A. And uh, I'm sure you can find that number on our website somewhere, or I'm not sure if it's on the screen. But, um, but uh, we do want to I- I encourage you to take part. In fact, today, um, I think there's a number of questions that have come in from uh, Thursday night as well. This one might trigger some. So uh, feel free to write down the, the questions, maybe uh, find the number later, send them in really quick, and I'll try to do my best to get to all of those uh, after the service. So um, can I just share with you a little bit of my background, a little bit of my story as we dive into what we're going to do today? Um, And that is this. I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, I was taught the basics of Christianity, uh, the basics of uh, theology, if you will, you know, God and the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. Uh, We as humans have a soul. We have a problem called sin. Jesus died on the cross to give us forgiveness and to give us salvation. Um, You know, that that because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, we can eat bacon. You know, the important things, the important things of theology. And uh, one of the things that was also taught to me growing up was that atheism, the belief that there is no God, is, is not right. And I was given a verse or so about that, but that was about it. You know, there, there was nothing beyond that. Just here's a verse, which is scripture is awesome. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that. But that, that was about it. And then we just kind of moved on. Well, as I grew up into my young adulthood years, into my uh, uh, being even a pastor, um, because that's all I was given in, in that, but then when you think about it, if, you don't, if, if, if there isn't a God, therefore the scripture isn't true, what if it's not all true? And, and I would begin to have these voices of doubt at times. They would pop up. What if God isn't real at all? What if, Ryan, you're just gullible? You've, you, you need God as a crutch. You're simple-minded. Uh, look at all these so-called intelligent people, scientists, you know, science classes from elementary all the way through university are teaching evolution, teaching there's not a God. You know, like, what if they're all onto something and I'm just, like, not on that train? You see, those kinds of doubts. And so I would get these, even again, even being a pastor at times, and I would then push them aside and, you know, claim my faith again and, and, and my experiences with the Lord and so forth in scripture, but they would come up here and there. Well, if you fast forward to the year 2012, I'm now uh, planting a church with a team of people. And if you know anything about church planting, that's when you need the most faith you can possibly have. You're asking God to do the impossible and to start a church from scratch. And so all of a sudden in that year, at the same time, these doubts of the very existence of God flared up within my life like never before. I mean, one moment in one day, I'm trying to lead the charge with the team and say, let's go ask God for the impossible as we plant this church. The next day, I'm sitting there wondering and if that God even exists at all. And I'd go back and forth and back and forth. I honestly felt bipolar. I mean, I was a mess. And then maybe some of you maybe can relate to some of this. Maybe not the pastor thing, but maybe you're a Christian. And maybe you've had these kinds of doubts before, you know? And so finally, though, there came this day when I heard somebody 
start to uh, not just say and, and quote scripture about atheism that it's wrong from the scriptures, but they actually took atheism and sliced and diced it in a way I had never heard in my life before. It was mind-blowing. And then they also took other scripture I had never heard that they showed from scripture, God actually says to his people, this is actually how you lovingly deal with such worldviews like atheism, like this. And I'm telling you what, it has changed my life about seven years ago. And the confidence in Christianity has exploded a hundred times fold in the last seven years. My doubts of the Lord are almost completely nothing anymore compared to what they used to be. And so that's what I want to share with you this morning. You guys excited about that? I hope you are, because this is all like a big thing God's done in my life. And so with that, let me just say, here's some of my prayers and my goals today. Three goals and prayers. One, if you happen to believe in atheism or even agnosticism, which says that atheism's a legit option, I hope and I pray that after this sermon, you will at least begin to doubt your worldview, if not already to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to put my cards out there, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm an evangelist, okay? I want to see you come to know Christ. But if at least you begin a journey of doubting, that's my hope and my prayer for you. The other two prayers and goals are from you and my brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? My hope and my prayer, one, is that you would, as you see me model for you how to address atheism the way I'm going to today, is that you will commit yourself to learning how to do the same thing that you will be convinced from God's word this is actually how we are to lovingly do it, and that you will, help me out, that you will love God with all your heart, your soul, your might, and with your, your mind today. Okay, like I said already, that this is gonna be a deeper sermon than maybe you've maybe ever heard, not because of the stuff I came up with. This is stuff that I've had to spend a lot of time studying to get it in my brain, and I'm gonna lovingly pass it on to you, but like I'm just, what I'm saying is, I hope that we can all be on like, you know, Mach 10 today and be able to do the best we can to retain what we can. But let me say this too, you're not going to get everything that I say today the first time you hear it. I've had to listen to these things and watch these things many times to get to where I'm at today. But what I'm just asking of you brothers and sisters is this, is that we would love our atheist and in our agnostic family and friends enough to learn this. Would you raise your hand if you have a family member or friend who's an atheist or an agnostic? Anybody out there know someone in your life? that's in that category, okay? And so I want you to keep them in your mind as we go through today. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Love God with your mind. Don't shut down about halfway through, okay? Do what you can. And again, realize you're not gonna get it all. Take good notes, please. Uh, you know, do what you gotta do. Rewatch this. It'll be up on the website later. And, um, and uh, we're gonna pray in a minute to also help us, right? And finally, the other prayer for brothers and sisters in Christ is just like what happened to me, that your faith will grow leaps and bounds from what you hear today. And so with that said, would you guys pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just need you today. We need you to show up and do a powerful thing. And so, Lord, I'm just committing myself to you once again. I'm taking these things that you have been doing in my heart and in my mind and through your scriptures, and I pray that you would... Spirit, lead me and guide my words and my mind to say it in the most succinct and clearest way possible for us to, to get this. Because God, you are the God of truth, all truth. And Lord, would you help us to love you with our minds today and to get this, to share it with those that so badly need to hear it. 
And we commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's work off a couple working definitions. All right, we got atheism. What's the idea of atheism? Well, A means no. Theism means God. It's the belief that there is no God. Okay, pretty simple. Not deep on that. Uh, Second, agnosticism. This one's a little less known, but agnosticism is A, no. Gnosticism is knowledge. No knowledge. It's the belief to be uncertain if there is a God or not. So this one, if you will, if you hold to this, this is you're kind of trying to ride that fence. You're saying there could be a God, there could not be a God. And so again, today we're going to address atheism. And if you're an agnostic, you have to understand, I want you to think about one of these options you think is legit, that there is no God, okay? And to hear me out on what those are. Now, a couple other things about atheism and agnosticism. Is this relevant for our lives? Absolutely. These two worldviews are the fastest growing worldviews in America. When you take into account those who are changing their mind as they grow up in life. I'm not talking about that someone's born into a Christian home, therefore Christian, or they're born into a Muslim family and now they're going to be Muslim. I'm saying that if people switch religions, they don't switch really from one religion to the other. Usually they switch from one religion to atheism or agnosticism. In fact, in the United States in the last 10 years, atheism has doubled in those that adhere to atheism. Also, uh, let me explain how these play together as well. Usually how it works for people is they start off being a theist, they believe in some form of a God, but they don't usually jump right to atheism and start saying there is no God. It's like a journey for them. A lot of times they'll go from an atheist and then they'll say, well, maybe there's not. Like I said, it's kind of like trying to ride this fence. And then many times they eventually get to atheism. Now, atheists and agnostics, they will continually say to you and I for Christians, they will say something like this, um, I'm a rational and a reasonable person. And so would you give me reasons and proof for the existence of God? And if you do, then I'll change my mind. Okay. You guys ever heard someone say that to you before? And so they're asking for reason for eight and for uh, answers and for evidence. And, and now here's something that Christians, atheists, agnostics, we all can agree on this. We all can agree that, that if someone says they believe something, they need to have good reasons and evidence for what they believe. In other words, you can't just say you believe something, therefore it's true because you believe it. Right? If someone says to me, hey, uh, do you believe, in, or no, they come to me and they say, hey, I believe in the Easter bunny. And I'd say, oh, really? Well, that's good. Have you seen the Easter bunny? Do you have any evidence for the Easter bunny? And they say, well, no, I don't have any evidence or, or reasons for it. I just believe and therefore he's true. You see? And so we need to have good reasons to say that we believe something. Um, and so with all that said, Today, right now, really briefly, we're going to look at this. We're going to answer an atheist and an agnostic's request and sometimes a demand for answers for the existence of God, reasons for the existence of God. And if you will, we're going to look at it like a house, like a structure. We're going to build a structure of evidence and reasons for God's existence. And we're actually going to start at the top on the roof because I would say this is the clearest answer, reason, and evidence for the existence of God. And that is this special revelation. That's what we call it. Special revelation that God, the God exists. He especially revealed that he existed in what we call the Bible. I mean, think about this. What this is saying is that if that God does exist and he has literally told us 
in a book that he exists called the Bible. Okay, so does the Bible say that God is the author of it? Absolutely. Multiple places. One of those is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, that is the Bible, is inspired by who, CFC? God, right? Not by Moses, not by Paul. Were they involved? Yes, but they were like a pen in the hand of God. And so God is ultimately the author. That's what the Bible claims. And of course, then the Bible claims that God exists. It'd be like if you were in an uninhabited island in the Pacific Ocean and you're walking around, but then you do find a book laying around. You start reading the book and it says it's signed by A.O., um, you know, multiple times, you'd be like, well, there must be somebody named AO that exists, and this AO wrote this book. Unless you have evidence to prove otherwise, it's an easy conclusion that you come to. You see, guys, that's what the Bible is. That's what special revelation is. God, the God that exists, has literally told us as human beings in written form through prophets and apostles that he exists. So if that's true, would you agree with me? That is the clearest evidence and reason for the existence of God. And so do you believe that today? Many of us, of course, as Christians, we believe that. Now, if you don't believe that the Bible is truly from God, can I just give you one challenge? I just challenge you to objectively and humbly start reading the Bible. And when you read it, say to God, say, God, if you exist, would you show me that you exist as I read this book? And the Bible says that if you seek him, you will find him. And so I just want to give that challenge to you. And if you're going through that study and you have questions, you can come talk to me or someone else. We'd love to help you through that. Okay? So are we, are we convinced of God's existence through special revelation in the Bible? Many of us are, but maybe you're not. That's okay. Let me give you a second reason for the existence of God. And that is what we call, now we're into the rooms, I'm sorry, the walls. And that is intelligent design. Maybe you've heard of that term before. Intelligent design. What is that? This is when you look at the things of nature and you see how they function, you see the complexity of those things, and you say, you know what, there is just no way that that just all came to be randomly the way that macroevolution in the atheistic worldview says. Like, there's such design in this, and that there must be a mind behind such a design, and that is what we would say is proof and a reason for that mind, his name is God. Do you see? Now, I could give you a million examples of intelligent design for the existence of God, but I'm just going to give you one just to scrape the surface today, and that is the idea of DNA. How much do we know about DNA? DNA is uh, physically within every living organism, and it is basically the information within the organism that tells it what it's going to be. If it's going to have fur or feathers, what color of skin or eyes or hair, uh, how tall, is it going to have fins or, or arms or, or, you see what I'm saying? Everything about a living organism is told in the information of DNA. It's like the book of life for everything. Now, here are some facts that we know about DNA, okay? And that is, one, it's very complex, okay? This is not a simple thing. It's a very complex thing. In fact, Bill Gates, maybe you've heard of him before, he says this about DNA. DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more complex 
than any software ever created. That's a big deal coming from Bill Gates. Okay, so it's a very complex thing. Second about DNA is that it is very long. It's not a short book, if you will. It's a very long book. Let me try to illustrate that. You know, the distance from us on earth to the sun, if we could travel it one way without burning up, it would be 93 million miles to get to the sun. Now, let me help try to bring that into perspective If we got in an airplane and flew west uh, from Jacksonville, went around the circumference of the earth and came back to Jacksonville, that would be about 25,000 miles, okay? So 25,000 miles, uh, 25,000 to go around the earth, it would take 93 million miles to get to the sun, one way. Now let me bring in one person's DNA, One person's DNA, if uncoiled and uncoiled and uncoiled and laid end to end, you know how long it would be. One person's. You could get to the sun and back, and I'm going to give you the most conservative number. There's a lot of debate on this online if you look this up. I'm going to give you the minimum, 60 times to the sun and back, one person's DNA. That's how long it is. That is 55 and a half billion miles long of DNA in your body right now. At least. It's very long, okay? So it's very complex. It's very long. Here's a couple other facts about DNA. DNA and information for that matter, they have, scientists have never seen that it creates any new information. It can mutate. It can Uh, copy and paste, if you will, but it can never create new information in your DNA. And then finally, all new information that they've ever found, it, it, it comes from a mind. Okay, this is basic. Everybody agrees on this, that information comes from a mind. All right? Now, let me give you at least two screaming reasons for the existence of God as we look at the intelligent design of DNA. The first one is this where did all the information come from? We just said it. All, all people agree that information comes from a mind. So where's the mind? Who's the mind? Can I introduce you again? Mind named God, right? God is the one who made up the information. Secondly, how in the world did all that complex information even come together to form the functioning creatures and organisms that we have, right? Well, Again, it's God. Because see, there's no one in here that would say, you know, I I would argue that the parts of a book could fall out of the sky and fall together and form a book by random chance, right? Nobody would argue that. that. That's absurd. It's unreasonable. Well, any book that you and I might have on the shelf, they might be long, but they're nothing compared to the book of life of what DNA is in one creature. You see, there had to be a God who put it all together. So are you convinced of the existence of God looking at that? I hope you are. But if you're not, that's okay. Let me give you another reason for the existence of God. I'm going to give you another wall of this structure. We're going to say the Kalam cosmological argument. Say that five times fast. The Kalam cosmological argument. And this one's coming from the philosophical side of things. And so what does this look like? Well, this is three main points that sum it up, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Something caused it to begin to exist. Second, the universe began to exist. Everybody agrees on that. It had to have a beginning somewhere. 
Therefore, the conclusion is the universe has a first cause. Now, where does God fit into all of that? Let me break that out. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Well, what that all assumes then is, is that there must be something that is infinite, that's never had a beginning, that always has been, that is the first cause. Can I introduce you a guy named God? <laughs> right? God has never had a beginning. You see? Then you got the universe began to exist. Well, was God around before the universe began? Yes, because he always has been. Therefore, the simple conclusion is God must be the first cause of all things that we see. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And yet those within the atheistic worldview don't have a good answer for that. In fact, let me illustrate that for you. Uh, it's kind of the idea of dominoes, okay? So we're just going to play the game of macroevolution and the Big Bang Theory for a minute. It's not true, but let's say that it was, and still the Kalam cosmological argument is something atheists have no answer for. Let me explain how it goes. Let's, take, let's say that everything started, and, and don't debate me on this because I'm not like a scientist in this area, but let's, I'm going to just play with me on this. Let's say the first thing that existed was these quarks, okay? Maybe you've heard of quarks before, and then eventually those become... Uh, uh, electrons, and then those become atoms, and then those eventually become molecules, and then we're going to skip a few. Those become fish, and then, of course, according to that worldview, then those fish become philosophers. Okay, I've skipped a few, okay? But you get the idea. And, and so, but here's the thing that still happened. Even if you go all the way back there, you still have this finger that is actually something was the first cause to make it all happen. What was the first thing? What is the finger that is God, there had to be something infinite that's always been to kick it all off, even if that false view was true, you see? And so, are you, are you convinced now of the existence of God? I hope you are. But if you're not, I'm going to give you another evidence. Are you ready for this? I don't see a lot of note taking. If you don't take notes, you're not going to get this, I'm telling you. But here we go. The next one is this, forensic science. Forensic science of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so what does this look like? Well, first of all, right there, you're like, well, why are you getting into Jesus? I thought we were just talking about God in general. Well, would you all agree with me that if this guy named Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago rose from the dead, there must be a God, okay? So that's why we're approaching that. And second, what's forensic science? Forensic science is a legit science that exists a lot of times in criminology, if you like any shows like CSI, anything like that, they're using forensic science. It's when you look at evidence to determine the events of something that's happened in the past. In fact, a lot of forensic scientists have looked at the evidence we have for the so-called resurrection of Jesus, and they've actually become Christians because they looked and they saw that there was overwhelming evidence that Jesus must have truly rose from the dead. I'm going to scrape the surface of that evidence and just give you five quick ones. Here's one. The fact that women are recorded to have found the tomb is a really big deal of evidence showing this must have really happened. You're like, why? Because they lived in a chauvinistic culture, a wrong culture that demeaned the value of women. And if you're trying to uh, spread a lie, the last thing you do in that culture was say that women were your first eyewitnesses. You would discredit yourself and everybody would see it and they wouldn't believe it. Unless, of course, that's exactly how the true event happened. You see, a second evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is that multiple eyewitnesses then 
claim to have seen the risen Jesus, not just the, a woman or two. We're talking about multiple independent eyewitness accounts of it. In 1 Corinthians, it records that Peter saw him. Then it says that another time, all loving disciples saw him at the same time. Another time, you got James, Jesus' own brother, says he saw him. Another time, there was over 500 people who saw Jesus at the same time. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. Now, some critics would say, well, but, uh, you know, everybody was hallucinating that they saw Jesus. They wanted so bad for him to be alive. But see, that argument is destroyed when you think about this. Even if you take the 500 witnesses, if we had 500 people in a room and you pumped in LSD in the vents, would people be hallucinating, yes or no? Yes. What would they be hallucinating? There'd be a lot of dancing pairs, unicorns, and who knows what going on. But would they be hallucinating the same person? No. They had to have all claimed to see someone that truly must have been there. Hallucination is not an option. Here's another example reason is that also Jesus' own brother, James, claimed that his brother Jesus was God and that he rose from the dead. I mean, how many of us have a brother or sister and we're even, even toying the thought of thinking, my brother or sister, I think they're God. You know? And then like they die and I, 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 I saw them raised from the dead. Like who would ever claim that? unless it's true. And then you add to that the fact that he died for that claim. If anybody would have known that it wasn't true that Jesus was God and rose from the dead, it would have been his own brother. And yet his own brother died claiming that. Then you add to that a fourth evidence that also the 11 disciples themselves also died for that claim. If they knew it was a lie, would you die for a lie. No, it must have been true. And then here's a fifth one. Again, I'm just barely scraping the surface, but this one's always fun. There's still no body anywhere. 2,000 years going now. You know, we know where the body of Muhammad is in Saudi Arabia, and we know where the body of Buddha is in China, and we know the body of every major religion and so forth out there, but you know what body we still cannot find, which would make a lot of sense if he rose from the dead is Jesus Christ, right? And so the forensic science of the existence of God and the resurrection of Jesus, therefore the existence of God is overwhelming. So are you convinced of the existence of God? I hope you are. And you know what? I could just keep going all day. We got another service we do have to get to. But, but I'm not going to because here's what I want to do right now. I actually want us to stop looking at evidence. I want us to actually think about this. This whole process that I've been laying out, I've been giving you evidence. We've been analyzing evidence. You know what we've been doing? We've been reasoning with our brains. This is where we're about to go really deep here, okay? We're, we're using reason to analyze evidence. And to be able to reason as a human being, we have to have certain preconditions in order to reason. Okay? So uh, let me explain that. On our structure, we're looking at all this evidence, but fundamentally below that, we have to have preconditions that, that make it possible to analyze evidence. Okay, let me explain what preconditions are. Precondition is a simple concept that you need to have some things before you can have another thing. Okay, building blocks, you gotta have that before you can have that. And so let's, let, let, me, let me illustrate that. Let's say that someone says, I wanna make a snowman in Jacksonville. All right, we have the Jag attire and all that kind of fun stuff. Are we gonna see a lot of snowmen in people's yards in Jacksonville? No, why? Because the preconditions aren't there. Right? So what are the preconditions that, to be able to build a snowman? Well, I'll just give you a few. You got to have the air temperature has got to be at least 32 degrees or colder. 
You got to have an atmospheric lift to bring moisture above the cold air so that when it falls down, it becomes the snow as it comes back down. Then when it falls, the ground actually actually needs to be cold enough that it actually stays and doesn't melt. Then also there needs to be enough of it in a given time to accumulate so you can actually do something with it. And though you can't have the air too cold or the snow will be fluffy and not packable, it's actually got to be warm enough to be packable. Now, my Floridian friends, let me just say this, other than the last two years of my life, I've lived in the North, I played in the, in the North in the snow, and I'm just telling you there's a big difference between fluffy, unpackable snow and wet, packable snow. And then on top of all of that, you've got to have a human, brain, human being who's actually got a brain smart enough to figure it all out and make a snowman and I'm not giving you all the preconditions. You understand how you have to have preconditions to have something else? All right. So with all of that, you have to have preconditions to analyze uh, evidence and to be able to reason with it. And so let me give to you just three preconditions of reason. And we're going to use an acronym called LUM. Now the word LUM means nothing for any of us other than when I did Google it, I guess the word lum, if you're in Scotland, that's what your chimney is called. I just learned that. But other than that, it's our little acronym today for the preconditions for us to even be able to reason lum. The L is the laws of logic. We have to use laws of logic to analyze the reasons and the evidence up here. Everybody's using it. Laws of logic. What are the laws of logic? There's at least three of them. I'm just going to explain just one of them. And we're going to look at law of non-contradiction. Maybe you've heard of the law of non-contradiction. What is that? That's saying that something can't be true and false at the same time. It can't be is and not is at the same time. It's pretty simple. Can't have contradictions. So if I said to you, hey, didn't you guys enjoy that dry rain the other day? You'd be like, nope, you just violated the law of non-contradiction there, my friend. It makes no sense. It's unreasonable, right? Or if I said to, to Tracy, hey, Tracy, Holly and I would love to have you come over to our house tonight. We have a great big house. We'll clean it. We'll get ready. And you know what? We wish we had a house. We don't have a house yet. We've been saving up to buy a house. So you're going to come to our house tonight. We'd love to have you over. You'd be like, how did I end up at a church with a pastor like this? I'm not really sure. You see, we, we use the law of non-contradiction all the time. All right. So with that, then here's what's happening. Laws of logic also are these three things. They are universal, which means they apply everywhere. They are never changing and they are immaterial, you can't touch them, okay? So let's take our law of non-contradiction and run it past that test of those items, okay? So, Charles, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on you if that's okay. So um, let's take our law of non-contradiction. Is it safe to say that it applies here in Jacksonville, that people should live by the law of non-contradiction, yes or no? Okay, yes. All right, is it safe to say that we should also apply it for people in Norway? Okay, so it's universal, okay? How about this? Is it uh, never changing? Is it safe to assume that the law of non-contradiction is gonna be working tomorrow as it is today, yes or no? Yes. yes, okay. And you're passing the test, very good. And how about this? Have you ever tasted, tripped over, saw the law of non-contradiction, yes or no? No, it's immaterial, right? And yet, does it exist? Yes, do you see how that works? Okay, thank you very much. And so here's the thing. When an atheist or an agnostic says to a Christian, I want you to give me reasons or evidence for the existence of God, they're saying a couple things. One, that they are saying, according to the law of non-contradiction, God cannot exist and not exist at the same time. You see? So they're, they're using the law of non-contradiction 
by demanding evidence. And in their evidence, they're saying, you better not give me, um, uh, I'm sorry, they're saying, yeah, you cannot give me evidence that contradicts itself, right? Do you see how an atheist or agnostic is using the law of non-contradiction as they're asking for evidence? If you do shake your head or something, it's hard to read the faces in this room. Okay, thank you so much. All right, so there's that. Let's go on to the U. What's the U of the preconditions of reason? It's the uniformity of nature. Uniformity of nature. It's the idea that you look at the things of nature and there's uniformity to it. There's stuff that you can trust. It's gonna keep going and keep working. Uh, Another way to say it is this. You assume, you have good reason to say something's gonna be the same tomorrow as it is today. The universe is uniform, okay? And so we use the uniformity of nature in our lives all the time. Let me, let me illustrate that by asking a question. This morning when we all woke up, we probably had some sort of a blanket over us. And did by chance anybody, when you were waking up, the alarm went off, did you, uh, before you started taking the covers off, did you grab your bedpost really tight and then you slowly took the covers off because you're afraid that you might fly up to the ceiling because maybe gravity stopped working last night when you were sleeping. Did anybody do that? No, why? Because we all are assuming the uniformity of nature, that gravity is gonna keep working just like it did last night that it did this morning. You see, everybody lives assuming that, but the question is, do we have good reason to assume the uniformity of nature? Now, atheists and agnostics, when when they ask a Christian for evidence, they're saying this, is that whatever evidence you bring me for God better not be changing. It better be true tomorrow just like it is today, right? They're assuming the uniformity of nature of evidence. And they're also saying that there can be evidence that's never changing, which trust me, hang with me, you'll see, well, that's kind of an issue for them, okay? Let's go to the M of, of the LUM preconditions. What the M? It's morality. This is probably the easiest of them to wrap our minds around. We are using morality as we reason and look at evidence. This is the idea of holding people to a moral standard. It is the idea that these things are universal. They are immaterial and it's a right and wrong kind of thing. Okay. Pretty simple. So when atheists and agnostics, when they ask a Christian for evidence for God, a lot of times it's, uh, they'll say something like this though. You know, as Christians, you guys just can't keep asking, you know, saying God exists without reasons. You need to give reasons. You need to give proof for the existence of God. I'm never gonna believe unless you do this. And see, everything I just said there though is this. Anytime that someone says you ought to, you can't do something, you should do something, any of those words, you know, those are actually moral statements. It would be wrong for you to do this. It would be right for you to do this. It's wrong for you to say it's just, he just exists. You need to give evidence. See, atheists and agnostics in their very request for evidence are actually using morality, which is a precondition for reasoning. And so right now you might be saying, what's the big deal about going this deep behind all of this? And here's why. Because right now, up to this point, who has been on trial God has been on trial. Does God exist? And right now we're gonna lovingly turn the table and we're gonna put the worldview of atheism on trial. We're gonna say this. Does atheism even in its own worldview have a right to use the preconditions of reasoning according to its own worldview? Do they have a right? Does this worldview have a right to look and analyze that that evidence according to itself? And so let me remind us what atheism believes and even go a little bit farther into it. 
You might want to write some of this down if you can. I'm kind of going quick, but atheism believes this. There's only time, matter, and space that exist, and it's all randomly bouncing around and bouncing into each other. Atheism doesn't believe then in a God, a spiritual realm, or any immaterial things. Everything is matter. It's physical, and it can be seen, even if you need to have a device like a microscope, but it's material. Atheism, what, also does not believe in any purpose for anyone or anything. Atheism then believes that somehow something came from nothing to become everything that we see. And atheism does not believe in a supreme, personable, intelligent power that holds the universe together. Okay? And like I said, you're not going to write all this stuff down. You don't have time. Rewatch this sermon multiple times again in the future. But let me summarize. Atheism believes that it just is and it's always changing. That's the summary of the worldview of atheism. It just is and it just keeps changing. Now, with all of that, with that worldview, does atheism, according to its own worldview, have a, uh, a justification to ask for evidence and to analyze it, to use the preconditions of reason? And so we're going to walk through it one more time here, and we're going to look at it from an atheistic worldview. We're going to look at the laws of logic. Now, again, the laws of logic, what are those? Again, they are universal. They're never changing, and they're immaterial. But an atheistic worldview does not believe in a supreme power of any sort that can actually make the laws of logic apply universally here in the U.S. and in Norway. There's no justification that it will. They don't believe in anything that holds everything all together. Atheism doesn't believe, again, in something that can hold everything together and keep it going that it never changes. In fact, the very premise of, of evolution is that everything is changing, and that's evolving. There's no justification that the laws of logic will not change tomorrow, okay? In fact, if you live according to the atheistic worldview, to be consistent with that worldview, every morning you should grab your bedpost because you never know when gravity is going to stop working, you see? But of course, a lot of times you're not going to find people actually live according to this worldview, but they say it, but they don't know what it really actually means and how it follows through in practicality in your life. Does atheism believe in anything immaterial? They don't, according to the worldview, but yet they use laws of logic and say they exist. You see, they contradict themselves. There's no justification. Therefore, according to atheism, they can't really use the laws of logic according to their own worldview, and yet when they ask for evidence, they are. Okay? So how about this? How about the uniformity of nature? According to atheism, is there a justification that things will be what? The same tomorrow as today. Not a hope that it'll be the same tomorrow, but a justification. There is something that guarantees that the universe will continue as it is tomorrow. Again, as I said, there is no uh, power, anything, force that's holding everything together. Again, the very premise of evolution is everything is changing and evolving. And so there is no justification for the uniformity of nature. Actually, you may say it another way. There's no justification to actually do science according to the atheistic worldview. It is just they are hoping that test tube one will do test tube two and test tube three. And it's all hope and there's nothing to base your uniformity of nature on other than you just hope it does and that things don't evolve while you're doing it. Okay. So, uh, so there's that. All right. What else? How about the morality? 
Do atheists have any justification outside of themselves to tell a Christian that you can't just say you believe in the existence of God, but that you must give evidence for the existence of God? Is there any justification for that? According to an atheistic worldview, there is no supreme power, God, anything that gives a moral absolute truth to everybody else that everybody must hold to. In fact, actually, according to atheism, um, if, if your brain is fizzing that murder is okay and your brain is fizzing with the chemicals that murder is not okay, there's no supreme moral standard telling our fizzing brains which one is right and which one is wrong. So you just, the stronger of it gets to duke it out or the most people that are fizzing a certain morality get to push on the other fizzing brains what they want to. But there's no supreme justification outside of their little fizzing brains and my fizzing brain to say which one is right or wrong. And yet, when an atheist or agnostic says to Christians, it's wrong for you to just to say that God exists, you must give evidence, give me evidence, they are actually stepping outside of their worldview. Their own worldview doesn't have a justification to give moral oughts and nots. You see, did I ask you and pray for us to use our minds today? Right? It's kind of deep, isn't it? But I hope you're just beginning to get the idea. Let me say this. With all of that, then, here's what happens, okay? There's no justification for any of that. Um, And so in the atheistic worldview, when someone argues against the existence of God and asks for evidence and all this kind of thing, they're actually uh, not able to argue for those things unless the very God that they're arguing against exists. Let me illustrate it this way. It'd be like someone saying, I want to argue that air does not exist, Think about that for just a minute. Air does not exist. Reason one. Air does not exist. Reason two. Do you see what I'm doing? Not only does air have to exist for the critic to exist, but air has to exist for the critic to actually give every argument that they give that air doesn't exist. You see, loved ones, that's what's going on here. When someone believes and they say atheism is true, or maybe an agnostic and says atheism is possibly true, then demand evidence. They're using preconditions. They're using all the stuff that in their own worldview they're not able to use unless the very God they're arguing against exists so they can use those very things. And so let me tell you what God says about atheism. God says in Psalm 14.1, you're like, where's the verses in this sermon? Here it is but hopefully this will mean something more than it ever has if you've heard this verse before from everything we just laid before this. The fool says in his heart, there is what? No God. They're corrupt, their deeds are vile, there's no one who does good. Now you might be saying, whoa, that's, like a, that's a big word, fool. What, what's up with that? It's not, it's not what we use in our culture necessarily, the word fool. The fool in the Bible means this, they are unreasonable. They don't have good reasons. They're irrational. It's not, it's not intelligent. It's not smart. And God says that when someone says that there's no God, they're being unreasonable. They don't understand. They have no reason uh, in themselves. And they've given up all reason, basically. It's foolishness. Now, you might be saying, wow, Ryan, you like really went after atheism in a way that I haven't heard. Like you kind of like, you know, went after it. Um, why? But the reason why we do this, and let me say this, this is, this is actually what God has told us as Christians to do with worldviews like atheism. 
God says to us in a verse that has changed my life, Proverbs 26, 5, answer a fool as his folly deserves. In our case, answer an atheist or an agnostic who believes atheism is possibly true as what his folly as atheism deserves. Why? So that they may not, not, might not be wise in their own eyes. God is saying that it's actually loving to enter into that person. They, they say, you know, I believe in atheism. Okay, here's what atheism really means. And let me show you in love the holes in your worldview. Now, why do we do that? So we can feel better about ourselves? No. Because people will not be open to a new worldview unless they begin to doubt their own. And so we are in love taking the holes that already exist there and we're showing in love the holes according to their own worldview so that they will begin to say, you know what, maybe this is not everything that I hear it is. Maybe there are problems with this and maybe there's another solution, another answer. And so hopes that they will be open to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why we do this. And so that comes back to my first prayer and my first goal, brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope we've had our atheist and our agnostic friends in our minds as I've went through this. And hopefully that's been a motivation to try to intellectually stay up with me today, right? But God wants us to continue to learn these things. Too often, can, you know, I'm a Christian. I've grown up in the church. I'm a pastor. Can I just say this? I say this with love. I do. But too often in my life, I've been told, just have more faith. Just have more faith. Should we have more faith? Yes. But we worship a God of truth. We worship the God who made the mind. And we happen to worship the God that gives us the preconditions to even use our minds. And so what I'm trying to say is this. Dedicate yourself to learning the things I just flew over today. You did not catch all of this. If you did, you are way better than me because this has taken me years to learn a lot of this stuff. But what I'm asking you to do is dedicate yourself to learning these things so that when you can have those conversations with our atheist and agnostic friends, you can lovingly say, you know what? Can I share with you what your worldview actually says and what you are allowed to do and not allowed to do? And then you, you throw these things out there in love and so hopes that they would have doubts and be willing to listen. Here's another opportunity besides just rewatching this sermon over and over and over, hopefully to get this stuff. You can watch other people too. There's people that do it way better than me. But we also have a class that we're doing right now in our church. It's actually gonna happen next hour. They just started last week, but it's called Defending the Faith in an Age of Reason. It's gonna be over in D building. I encourage you to attend that. Now, a heads up because the social distancing, unfortunately, we only have about five spots there. Um, but show up and, and just be ready possibly to be turned away, which is a good problem. But then here's the thing. We are live streaming it as well. And so you can get on our website and register for it on there and you can live stream in. But I highly encourage you because this class is going to take everything that I just did in this short amount of time and going to take it a lot slower. And so you can take more notes and ask questions and so forth. And so take advantage of learning. Brothers and sisters, our atheists and our agnostic friends, let me say this. There are too many Christians and it's growing that are leaving the faith of Christianity because too many of us as Christians, we hear this stuff. We say, that's just too deep. I'm just going back to my simple Jesus stuff. I mean, there's, there's this one guy who was a worship leader just a couple years ago. He said, every time I had these kinds of doubts and I had these questions, I would go to Christians around me. They just said, just have more faith. And he said, there's no answers for these things. I'm walking away. Guys, listen, there are so many good answers. There are so many good answers. Let's commit ourselves to learning these things so we can lovingly help people. This is so big on my heart. 
I'm tired of hearing Christians walk away when they never heard this stuff before. We should all be learning this and sharing this in love. All right, how about this then? Another prayer of mine is that, is that our faith would grow leaps and bounds. Now, hopefully it's already been growing. If you're a brother or sister in Christ, your faith's been growing as you hear about the craziness of atheism and how it's just not rational, but also I'm not done yet, okay? So an atheist might say, okay, you know what, pastor? Uh, you've given me good reason to doubt my own worldview of atheism, but, but, but does Christianity have any justification for these so-called preconditions of reason? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me share with you. Check this out. Let's take the laws of logic. Again, what are they? They're universal, never changing, and immaterial. Do Christians, do we not believe in a God who is what? Universal, omnipresent, exists everywhere. Do we not believe in a God who is never changing, the same yesterday, today, and forever? And do we not believe in a God who is immaterial? And this God who is immaterial can make other immaterial things like laws of logic. He, therefore, he's the origin of them. He's also omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. He exists everywhere, and he can make sure laws of logic happen. Christianity has every justification for the precondition of reason of the laws of logic. That's awesome. Hello, right? Awesome. How about this? Does Christianity have any justification for the uniformity of nature to believe and have good reason that the things we see in nature like gravity are going to continue to go tomorrow as they are today? Again, Christianity believes in a God who is omnipotent, holds all things, never changes, and can hold the law of gravity and everything else we see in nature to make sure it continues to happen day after day. So Christians, guess what? We don't have to hold the bedpost every time we wake up in the morning because we believe in the God and he's our justification that the uniformity of nature will continue on. We have every justification for the uniformity of nature. How about morality? This one's easy. Do we not believe in a God who is the ultimate moral standard? And you can call everybody everywhere to that same moral standard. Yes, we do. You see, guys, let me share with you another final amazing verse. Colossians 2 says that in Christ Jesus, get this, whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Now, does that, does that mean that you go to Jesus for the knowledge of how to be saved only? Does that mean that we go to Jesus for the wisdom and knowledge of spiritual things only? All wisdom and and knowledge, get this, science wouldn't exist without the triune God. Preconditions of reasons wouldn't exist without the triune God. Any field of, of anything that you happen to work in in the secular world only exists because the triune God exists. Everything comes back to Jesus. And then there's one more step that's final beyond that. That same God that makes all reason and evidence and analyzing of it and all this stuff possible happens to love you and I intimately. He's not just far and out there like the deist would say, unapproachable. He loves us. And he's made every one of us in his image. And he knows that we are, have an immaterial soul that's made forever. And he also knows and sees that we have a sin problem that needs fixed. 
And he went to fix it 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus Christ on the cross for us. He's made it possible for us to be forgiven and to live with him forever. And so my atheists and my agnostic friends, first of all, I hope and I pray that you've seen the foolishness, the irrationality of atheism and that you're willing to abandon it but it would actually still be a failure, failure if someone just abandons atheism to go for something else that's not true. The truth is this, is that God does exist and his name is the triune God. And he's died for you. And he's inviting you to put your faith and to trust in him for your forgiveness and for meaning and purpose to your life. So are you willing to trust in him and to repent of your sins to him? Because if you are, That is how you become a Christian. That's how we're saved. That's my prayer. That's my hope for you. And so brothers and sisters, as we close out, can I say this one more time? You don't have to be like I was about seven years ago and all my life leading up to that point, just wondering what if there's not a God. Listen, hopefully you've seen that atheism is not what it's cracked out to be. And on the other side, I hope that you've seen that with Christianity, we have every, every confidence that we are in the truth on every level. Amen to that. And so with that confidence, hopefully an increased confidence, let's get out there and share these things in love and the gospel of Jesus with those we love. Would you stand as we close that out and sing that?
go with confidence because the Spirit is in us and working in us. There's a lot to, lot to take in. Just a reminder, the goal of our instruction is to love. So as we go out, let's in love. Take what we've learned today. I hope your faith is increased. Mine is. Let's take what we learned today in love uh, that more and more people would come to know Jesus. Um, so I hope you have a great rest of the day. Uh, go with God's blessing. We'll see you next time. All right?